Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. This is the Broncos Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Broncos Wire editor, John Heath. Yo, welcome into the program, the preseason. Finally behind us, John, right? The countdown to the actual regular season is here, this Thursday night game. Uh, Bucks cowboys I'm here for that. It's going to be fun. Always love seeing my guy Tom Brady play. And Broncos fans getting ready for this opener against the Giants. I know personally on Saturday, uh, I, the, my football juices got flowing a little bit with that college football slate. Now we're back at it here, finally talking about an actual matchup with the Giants. I'm, I'm just ready to get back into the flow of the regular season, my man. How about you? I'm right there with you. Football's back. Feels good. Ready for Sunday. Let's let's get it going. Let's get it going. And uh, before we get into the matchup with the Giants, let, let's get into kind of a bummer of a topic a little bit, John. Like, there's no other way to put this because we have gotten some clarity here on the Broncos COVID thing last year where uh, I think we all remember it very well. They lost all their real quarterbacks on the roster and uh, Kendall Hinton, the uh, practice squad receiver, came up to play quarterback against who? The Saints. Yeah, you're going to beat the Saints with a practice squad receiver playing quarterback? I don't think so. And it, well, it was not pretty, right? That was probably the ugliest football game we've ever been subjected to, John. Uh, and we f- tried to find the silver linings in it with Hinton and stuff, but that was ugly. It was not a good weekend. And uh, we're finding out a little bit more about what went down here. So in a recent interview with Sam Farmer of the Los Angeles Times, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, revealed that Drew Locke, and Devers' other three quarterbacks actually tried to skirt the COVID protocols and manipulate their tracers to uh, watch film. So, uh, you know, it's, I guess they're trying to cheat the system of watch film, John. So how mad can we really get at them? But uh, in this article from uh, Farmer's Story here, I'm just going to read a quick piece, John, and let you react. So John Elway, Denver's president of football ops at the time, made several frustrated pleas to Goodell to postpone that game until Tuesday when the quarterbacks would be eligible to play. But the league denied those requests because they had surveillance video from Denver's facility showing that the quarterbacks had basically tried to cheat the protocols, right? They had removed their tracing devices and put them in four corners of the meeting room and they sat together in a group to watch the film. And that made them close contacts and automatically made them ineligible to play in the NFL. As we all remember, did not bend at all and did not give the, Broncos any leeway and they had to play that game and obviously it was almost like a forfeit you're not going to win the game without a quarterback uh, so this coming out John not a good look for Drew Locke not a good look for the Broncos and what's your reaction to this yeah I think it's extremely disappointing in Drew Locke like uh, especially because after that happened when he was ruled out he released a statement and part of it was along the lines of uh, for a moment we let our masks slip and it was an innocent mistake but a mistake that I own up to or something like that and it's like at the time it was like okay cool he's taking responsibility but now in hindsight now that we know the details it's like dude you totally downplayed you were literally cheating and got caught and you didn't even admit that in the state it was kind of like a, a little mini cover-up. Like the, they're literally trying to game the system. And as Drew Locke, to me, that's very, very disappointing because I know he wanted the most uh, experienced quarterback in the room. Like uh, Blake Bortles, he was a, a, a veteran guy. And Jeff Driscoll, I think he's even older than Locke. But Locke, as your starting quarterback, you expect him to be the leader and set the example. And he's either going along with or allowing them to put their tracers in different corners to try to skirt the system and try to get around the rules and COVID protocol. And it's like, 
it, it was a lack of foresight from him because it's like, don't you realize, like, clearly he didn't foresee what would happen because I know they wouldn't have done that if they knew, like, hey, if we get caught doing this, we all have to sit out a game, and then Kendall Hinton's going to get killed trying to play quarterback against a really good Saints defense. So it was, I think it was immaturity from him. I think it was lack of foresight from him, and I think it was poor leadership from him. And I something that happened a year ago, I don't think it really – necessarily impacts the quarterback competition but when i hear about like the details of what went into that situation it just makes me think it kind of makes sense that teddy bridgewater was brought in and just last week the broncos players they voted for team captains and bridgewater he's only been here a couple months he only recently won the starting job and his teammates voted him a team captain and and like of course people will say well he's a quarterback of course you expect to be the quarterback be the team captain but I just feel like even besides that, he's shown leadership. It seems like his teammates love him. He's come in and he's fit in very well in the locker room. And I just get a sense of maturity from Bridgewater. And I get a sense of him being a very good leader for them. And Locke, like, I, I don't want to dump on Locke's leadership. Like, everybody has a different kind of personality and a different leadership style. But I think, like, in that situation last year where they tried to get around the COVID rules, that's just not a good testament of your leadership, like regardless of what kind of style you have that to me, that's just not acceptable. And I think it just, it, it kind of affirms to me that Bridgewater is the right guy and Locke, like, yes, you, you like his arm and you like his talent. And like, I'm, I'm not like discounting his whole NFL career. Maybe he'll get things turned around, but just from the off field stuff and the leadership stuff, I'm, I'm kind of seeing now why Bridgewater is the guy and why he's who they're going forward with and why Locke lost his starting job. I mean, John, I came on this podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, defending Drew Locke, right? And I, I thought it, it felt weird for me to be calling for Drew Locke to win that job. I was upset that Bridgewater had won the job initially. But now I think, bingo, you just nailed it. I think I agree with you 100%. I think we see we get some clarity on to why Bridgewater was here and why Bridgewater won that job in such short order against a guy that the Broncos had just drafted a couple years ago, second round guy that was here last year in the playbook. How did Bridgewater win that freaking job? Well, I think we're starting to see. I think they have serious doubts about his leadership. Now, you look at this. It seems pretty innocent, right? We're trying to watch film. We're trying to study. But it's just like, what are you doing? Like, you don't you have can to. You can still watch yeah. film and be six feet apart yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Be six feet apart, wear your masks. What are you doing? Like, so it is. It's just like, I like how you put it. It is an immaturity. It's just, it just shows that he's not quite ready to be the guy. I think the Broncos saw that. I think that's why Teddy Bridgewater at the end of the day is the guy. And that that's unfortunate. And I guess for me coming in uh, to this conversation, it was like, man, I think the Broncos, you know, they didn't really get discipline for this right sometimes when you get uh, I wouldn't call, quite call this a scandal John probably just a lack of judgment right but they didn't get fined this wasn't made public until now that's a little surprising right the, the Broncos didn't get disciplined further for um, this mishap and breaking COVID protocol that's a big deal and we're still dealing with this thing the COVID thing a year later right uh, and so that's a big deal and the Broncos I guess having Kendall Hinton play the game was their were their only punishment. So I guess I'm a little surprised it wasn't more. Yeah, it it definitely could have been more. But I think what you said there, ha- forcing them to play a game without any quarterbacks, I'm I'm guessing. Like I don't know this, but I just assumed the NFL like they decided that's what the punishment was going to be. Like the Broncos were pleading with them to move the game to Tuesday, and the NFL had and did move other games to different days of the week because of COVID related 
things coming up. So I think it was just like, no, you guys broke the rules, so we're going to force you to play without any quarterbacks. And I'm guessing that the NFL felt that was sufficient punishment. And it, honestly, it kind of was because sure. it, it cost the Broncos a game. And what's more important to an NFL team than winning or losing games? No, it was it was a de facto forfeit, right? I mean, they were, they were not going to beat the Saints with Kendall Hinton playing quarterback. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, so that is uh, an unfortunate story that came out. Bad look for Drew Locke. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he'll get better for it and grow from it. But that was just uh, not his best. Not his best, John. And let's finish this segment up by just kind of putting a bow on the final 53-man roster. Last week we talked about the initial 53. What's kind of your top takeaway from the final uh, 53-man roster going into week one now? You've been writing on the Broncos wire a little bit about the corners, uh, specifically about how Teams might be interested in trading the Broncos for one of their awesome cornerbacks, but uh, the Broncos should not oblige, right? Like, screw you guys. <laughs> like, you know, if you're thin at cornerback, good for you. Like, we're fine. We're not going to give you Bryce Callahan. No, thank you. Like, you know, we're fine over here. Uh, maybe we'll let this be an advantage because there are a lot of teams, John, around the league that are just thin at corner. And uh, the Broncos aren't one of those teams. So that's one thing that stuck out. But what about you? What's your top takeaway from the final 53? Yeah, just continuing on that that cornerback bit, I just feel like I'm pretty sure they had like eight, ten cornerbacks at different times last year injured going down. And hopefully that's not going to happen again. But the cornerback is kind of a high injury rate position, it seems. And Fangio, this offseason, people have been ta- asking him, like, how is Pat Sertan going to get on the field when you have Darby and Fuller, two really good outside guys, and Bryce Callahan, a really good slot guy, like where does that leave room for Pat Sertan, your first-round draft pick? And every time Fangio's kind of reiterated, he's been like, he'll be in the rotation, but also you need to remember in today's NFL, having four or five corners on the field at the same time, that's not untypical. Like that's going to happen. Like they, they might even be in their nickel defense more, not might, they are in their nickel defense more than they're in their base defense. So they're there's going to be playing time for all four of those top guys. And at this very moment, Michael OJ Moody is on injury reserve. He'll be back hopefully after just three weeks, but I don't think it's a problem to keep the depth and to just hang on to your guys. Because if you can have four studs and have four corners on the field at the same time, opposed to have three guys and limit your like defensive formation or have a, a lesser player out there, like why not? I, I especially because I don't think anyone's going to give up a high draft pick for a thirty-year-old corner who's about to become a free agent and has had some injury history. Talking about Bryce Callahan, if if someone offered a third-round pick for him, I'm pretty sure I would take a third for him. But like, if people want like a fifth or a sixth just because they're like, hey, this is an old guy who's about to become a free agent. Do you want to get something for him before he hits free agency? I'd be like, no way. He's more valuable to us than a late round pick in my opinion and then just on the roster overall corner they're deep i think on the defensive line they have awesome depth and at wide receiver like on the active roster they're kind of thin because they only have four true wide receivers and then a returner in deontay spencer but on the practice squad they brought back four of the guys that went to camp with them so they they basically have like eight true receivers and a returner if you count the practice squad. So I, I think like on the 53 receiver looks kind of thin, but in reality, they're fine at receiver. And I think the offensive line, the interior line has real nice, nice depth because Moody and uh, Miners, who they just drafted this year, those guys can play guard. Miners can play center. Glasgow, their starting right guard, he can fill out at center. So literally 
all the spots on the offensive line, they've got good depth. They, they've got Calvin Anderson backing up both tackle spots. I know Broncos fans may not be huge fans of Calvin Anderson, but the coaching staff has spoke well of him. And obviously at running back, you've got Gordon and Javante Williams. So really across the board, I really like their depth on their 53. And honestly, I'm probably looking at it through some orange and blue colored glasses. Cause I think if you talk to NFL fans across the league, a lot of them probably like their depth, but I truly think they're in pretty good shape. Oh no, the, the orange and blue glasses are a real thing. You should see some of the things people say to me on Twitter, John, when I suggest that <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater can't throw, Oh man, they, they really come at me. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like, why share the wealth? You know, you're, you're deep at these positions, wide receiver corner, no, no, no. Let's like let's not share the wealth and enjoy that competitive advantage. So uh, I think the Broncos are a deep, fairly he- now. Uh, you know, guys are going on the IR, but not important, like super important guys right now. So relatively healthy, deep. So let's see what it means this year and what what does it mean for Week One. Let's really jump into this matchup with the Giants. I'm ready for it. But first, Corey Bonini. He's going to give you uh, some fantasy guys to target in Week One. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Fantasy football is finally back. And so am I, Corey Bonini here of TheHuddle.com, returning to give you strong plays each week. Let's jump right into it. Week number one, strong plays. Quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville Jaguars at Houston Texans. The Texans have a new regime in place. They lack talent on the back end, and it's unclear what kind of pass rush they'll have without J.J. Watt. This defense gave up 30 passing touchdowns to quarterbacks last year and picked off only three balls. That is ridiculous. Lawrence makes his debut. He has ample targets, and they're finally returning to health at the right time. The backfield is strong, which will keep the pass defense in check. The offensive line is quality, and Jacksonville will probably look to set the tone and let their rookie quarterback come out slinging. San Francisco running backs at Detroit, another team with a new coaching staff. That's usually what happens when you give up the fifth most rushing yards and the most receiving yards to the position the previous year. No team gave up offensive touchdowns to running backs at a higher rate relative to the touches than this defense. It may be better, but it will take some time to turn around such a mess. San Francisco has injuries at wide receiver. They also have an excellent duo in Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon in the backfield. Look for the offense to ground and pound all day long. Let's make it three in a row of teams that have poor defenses and new coaching staffs in 2021. The Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Devontae Smith takes on the Atlanta Falcons. The secondary is a soft spot for Atlanta. The coaching staff turnover will improve this defense in time, but it's fair to expect it will take a while. The 2020 version gave up the most yards and third most receptions to wide receivers. Philadelphia's rookie new number one wide receiver Smith has a lot to prove and he is healthy. He's a wide receiver three with plenty of upside in most fantasy formats. If you're really looking to make a gamble in fantasy this week, Kyle Rudolph tight end New York Giants versus the Denver Broncos. A quote from Rudolph says, whatever's needed of me, I'm ready to go. He started practicing August 25th after off-season foot surgery and he has steadily improved according to local reports. Tight end Evan Ingram has an injury of his own and he may not be ready. Wide receiver Kenny Galladay is still iffy. Running back Saquon Barkley is expected to play, but he probably will have a limited workload. Rudolph faces a defense that has improved at cornerback and still has a pretty healthy pass rush, suggesting quarterback Daniel Jones could be forced into a lot of short area passing. That's a space Barkley tends to occupy. This one is absolutely risky, so understand what you're getting into. But there's upside here by way of circumstance for the former Viking. 2021 marks 25 years online for the Huddle.com. Be sure to check out the site and we will show you why we've made champions. 
All right, John, let's get into some key matchups for this game against the Giants. And I think, number one, we kind of hit on it last week a little bit, is this Broncos front seven against this horrid Giants offensive line. I don't even want to say it's a bad, it's a horrid offensive line for the Giants. <laughs> They're really struggling. And, uh, you know, you get, what you, you get what you deserve, John, when you don't draft any offensive linemen. You don't address this in free agency at all. You just kind of go into the preseason with you know, the guys you had last year, basically. And the Giants are paying the price. Uh, they've got issues all over that offensive line. They don't have a lot of depth. You know, Andrew Thomas really struggling on the left tackle. That preseason game against the Patriots was ugly. The Patriots are getting pressure all day long. I don't see any reason why the Denver Broncos won't get pressure all day long in this ball game. And, uh, you know, I just feel like that's one of the big matchups to watch. And guys like Von Miller, Bradley Chubb are going to be important to getting all over Daniel Jones in this one, right? So how you feel about those two, especially Chubb? How are they health-wise? entering this week yeah Chubb he got a little dinged up I don't think it was even the same ankle injury from last season that got re-aggravated I think it was like an unrelated ankle injury but they've been kind of nursing him along and Fangio just said earlier this week that he expects them to play on Sunday so it doesn't sound like Chubb is overly concerning it's just something to keep an eye on and as for Von Miller it seems like he's completely healthy completely ready to go the only thing uh, with Miller is he just he hasn't played a full game yet obviously like nobody has but some of the guys they ended last year playing full games and Miller obviously didn't so I think Miller he just got to get his game legs under him but sure, as far as yeah. health I think he's all set to go and what's really nice for Denver is Malik Reed their top backup outside linebacker last year when Miller was out he led the team in sacks and then this year they drafted Jonathan Cooper real late in the draft in seventh round. In preseason, he looked really sharp. So Miller and Chubb, even though they're healthy and ready to go, you can still spell them. You can rotate in Malik Reed. You can rotate in uh, Jonathan Cooper. And you can help keep uh, Chubb and Miller fresh. And I think keeping them fresh like that is going to be huge. And as you're saying, that pass rush, it's going to cause a lot of problems for the Giants offensive line. I think this game, what really is going to be key for the Broncos, they need to build a lead, they need to get out in front, and they need to make the Giants pass because that's what the Broncos' defense is built to do. They're built to – their corners, they have such good corners, such good safeties, they're going to make the quarterback hold on to the ball longer than he wants to. And when you do that, Chubb and Miller and even the guys on the inside like uh, Shelby Harris – uh, they're going to be able to get after the quarterback. But the Giants aren't going to have to do that if it's a close game or if the Giants are running. And Saquon Barkley, he's gearing up to play on Sunday. And even though the Giants' offensive line hasn't been good in pass protection, I think they're competent in run blocking. And Barkley, obviously, he's one of the best backs in the NFL. Even if he is not quite 100%, I, I have a little concern that if it's a close game and the Broncos aren't able to just turn their pass rushers loose, that the Giants can kind of stay in the game and kind of pound the Broncos' defense a little bit. Because even last year, I thought the Broncos had a good defense, but at some times teams would just pound the ball, pound the ball, and they would kind of wear the Broncos' defense down. And hopefully this year you would think with the guys that they would add have added and with Miller being back and whatnot, that the run defense will be better overall. But it's just, even if you have a good run defense, if they just consistently run, 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 you're going to get worn out. So the way to prevent that is you go up on them and you force them to pass and you turn your pass rushers loose. So I think building a lead and maintaining it is going to be really key for the Broncos because it's going to allow them to play the way they want to play. Yeah, I like that. I like that commentary. I mean, it does feel like a little bit of a vulnerable 
Giants team that Denver should be able to take advantage of, John, I think a little bit. I mean, you talked about Barkley. He could be a problem. There's no doubt about it. He's a, a special talent. But there's a lot of talk about them limiting his touches coming back from that knee injury last year. We're not sure how much he's going to go, how many touches he's going to get, how much of a factor he'll be in the passing game. Who's Daniel Jones going to be throwing to? Like Kadarius Toney, their first round pick. He hasn't been around much in the preseason. Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton both got banged up in that final preseason game. Kenny Galladay, their prize free agent signing. He's had a hamstring. He just came back this week. He hasn't really had he, he's been spending time after practice with Daniel Jones just trying to get the reps in because they're a little bit behind. So, I mean, I just feel like who are they throwing to? Sterling Shepard? Is there anyone else for Daniel Jones to throw to consistently, like that he has a rapport with at this point? So I feel like it's set up pretty well for the Broncos. I do like them in this game, and, and we'll get into that a little bit more here coming up. From a fantasy perspective, though, I ended up with Javante Williams in one of my leagues, John. I'm high on him. Uh, you know, just cue up his highlights on YouTube from his North Carolina days. It looks awesome. So I'm hoping for more of that from Javante. But uh, Melvin Gordon, he's still here. He's not suspended, right? He didn't get he didn't get popped for that DUI, at least from the NFL side of it. So we have to try to figure out what the rotation is going to be like between Melvin Gordon and Javante. And I, I, I guess it's we could expect it to be kind of a 50-50 split to start. Yeah, I think initially definitely expect a 50-50 on Sunday here in week one and probably early in the season. But it depends on your roster lineup. If you have some good receivers or another running back that's more of a borderline starter, you may or may not be able to flex Javante Williams right now. Because even like if you look at the Browns, they have uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, but they run so much and those backs are so good. Both of them are worthy to start in fantasy. Chubb is your RB1. Hunt obviously is more flex consideration because he doesn't get quite as much as Chubb. And at this point, point in his career he might not be quite as good as Chubb but I just mean to use that as an example there are backfields that can have two fantasy relevant uh, running backs and I think the Broncos are going to be that early in the season I think Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams even if one of them is like stealing the touchdowns I think the other is still going to get like 50 60 rushing yards a week and then with Williams he's a pretty good receiver out of the backfield so if he adds you know four or five catches and adds like 15 20 25 receiving yards to that like for a flex player I feel like that's perfectly fine production and then as the season goes on if anything happens to Melvin Gordon or if he's underperforming a little bit I really would not be surprised if by like mid-season or a little later in the year if Javante Williams kind of flips roles with uh, Gordon and Gordon becomes like the number two and Williams is the lead back. So I think initially they're going to be splitting, but I think they're both going to have fantasy value. And I think as time goes on, Williams is probably going to be the, the guy at some point this year. Yeah, I like to hear that for sure. And and actually my actual problem with my flex spot in this, like I said, it's a 14 team league that I'm in. Um, so my flex is kind of Javante Williams, Jacoby Myers, the receiver from the Patriots, or Cortland Sutton. Those are three guys that I'm kind of, I'm not sure who to put in there. Uh, you know, I'm kind of back and forth between Javante and Jacoby right now. But, I mean, Cortland Sutton seems like a sleeper. I was able to get him as my number three wide receiver. I feel pretty good about that. Is it PPR? It's not. It's actually standard. I might be leaning Williams at this moment, but Cortland Sutton just in general as a fantasy option, I like him too, especially as your third choice or fourth choice receiver either. I think like the last year he was healthy, he made the Pro Bowl. He had over a thousand yards receiving. And I, I definitely think he can get back to a thousand yard receiving this year. Cause last year with the Panthers, even though the Panthers weren't any good, they didn't have McCaffrey for most of the year. Teddy Bridgewater helped them produce 
a pair of thousand yard receivers. And I think he can definitely do that. I think Cortland Sutton on one side, Jerry Judah on the other side, I think they're both going to have nice little seasons and he might not be like a hundred catch receiver, but like your third or fourth receiver, you don't need him to be a hundred catch receiver, obviously, or he wouldn't be your third or fourth guy. Sure. But I, I think Sutton on a week to week basis, he's definitely worth flex consideration. And if Bridgewater builds like chemistry with him and he becomes his favorite target, like Drew Locke, his rookie year, he only played like the last five games, but he loved Corlin Sutton. Like it was very obvious. It was just, he was his favorite receiver. And if Bridgewater feels that same way and he's just feeding him, feeding him, feeding him, Sutton's going to become very relevant again very quickly in fantasy. Yeah, he definitely dropped too far in my league. I just had to snatch him up, so I'm, I'm hoping for big things from Sutton. I won't complain with 100 catches, John. I won't complain at all. I'll take that all day long. Uh, but here we go. So our buddies over at the Sportsbook Wire and the USA Today Network is going to give us their sports betting play of the week. And then John and I are going to take a look at this Broncos-Giants line that has moved. And we'll tell you which way it's moving and what we think coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast, joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Monday Night Football of Week 1 features the Baltimore Ravens visiting the Las Vegas Raiders. Fans finally in attendance at the Death Star. I think that's enough to push the Raiders toward a cover at plus four and a half points. I don't think they went outright, but I think they stay maybe within a field goal here. Jeff, you agree with me or should people be back in the Ravens? I agree with you. And most importantly, I'm pretty sure the house agrees with you and we should be on the same side as the house because that's who wins. We're seeing some reverse line movement in the betting market with nearly 70% of the money and the public backing the Ravens. But the line has came down from Baltimore laying six and a half on the opener to four and a half. There's still a little bit of value left at the Raiders at four and a half because the Ravens have several skill position players that are going to be sidelined, including first round draft pick wide receiver Rashad Bateman. Uh, J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill in the backfield, and second tight end Nick Boyle is doubtful. So I'm going to take the Raiders at plus four and a half, and they're, well, finally in front of their new home crowd. All right, John, we said last week to the listeners that they should pound that line at two and a half. Uh, we were getting that those odds from the Tipico Sportsbook, and uh, the line was kind of hanging at two and a half. I said, give me the Broncos to win by a field goal at the Giants all day long because of all the things that we mentioned, right? The mismatches, where the Giants are vulnerable, where the Broncos are deep and talented. I just like this matchup for the Broncos. And a week later, John, the line has climbed from two and a half to three and a half. So now if you haven't, if you're looking to bet the Broncos with a legal wager, uh, you know, a little bit more pricey now, three and a half. That's a little bit harder just to jump on, you know, with the season opener on the road. You know, what's your leadoff gut reaction to that line climbing a point? It means a lot of money is probably going on the Broncos at that two original two and a half number. Yeah, I think it means it, it's a sign that sports fans obviously have confidence in the Broncos to win by at least a field goal. And we're, and we're betting on them literally to do that. And I, I just think like you, you were mentioning earlier in the podcast, you were just going down a list of all these Giants guys on offense 
that are injured. I didn't even realize it was quite that bad for them, but you made a really good point. Like who is left for Daniel Jones to throw to? Like, yes, Barkley is back and he's a very dangerous player. You have to account for, but he is, he's probably not going to be quite 100% yet. And so if they can just kind of, they don't have to shut down Barkley, but if they limit his production a little bit, then the giants, they clearly don't have many receiving options left. And even if, who you say Evan Ingram does get healthy enough or say Kenny Galladay does get healthy enough to play on Sunday. Like you still bet on the Broncos secondary to limit their production. So I still think even with it going up, I still think that the Broncos, they should be able to beat them by at least a touchdown. I guess it really just comes down to how confident you are in the Broncos own offense to put up points. And I think with how many weapons they have, and with Bridgewater doing a good job protecting the ball, I think they're going to be able to at least score enough points to build a little lead up on the Giants and and hang on semi-comfortably in a win. Yeah, I, I like it too. I'm still on the Broncos' side of this line. I just think they're the better team right now going into the season. And at minus 3.5, the odds are actually plus 105. So, you know, usually you'll get the rake a little bit. It'll be like minus 110. But you, so you're not getting even money or a little bit better to, to place that bet. You're, you're going to give a little bit back if you lose. Minus three and a half on Tipico at plus 105 odds. So you're getting better than, you know, one to one on your money. So, you know, the, the odds are in your favor at that line. Obviously, those odds, though, tell you that it's a little bit riskier to place your money on that, that three and a half than it was at two and a half. But I would still back it. Uh, the total, John, set at 41 and a half. So this is one of the lower totals on the board in terms of the over under. 41 and a half seems like a low number. You almost, you're dying to bet the over when you see a number that low, but I'm actually on the other side. I, I like the under in this game. I, cause I have the giants at like 13 points max in this game. As you yeah. know, I've been talking about it for weeks. I really believe in this Broncos defense, especially in this matchup. And another thing that we haven't really hit on yet is the giants are really good on defense too, right? That's the strength of their mm-hmm. team. And I know they spent all off season adding talent, right? Kadarius, Tony, the pick. Kenny Galladay, they brought in Kyle Rudolph, they brought in Devontae Booker. They, you know, they did all this stuff on the offensive side, but I think I still think that defense under Patrick Graham still the strength of their team. And this should be kind of a low-scoring defensive slug it out kind of thing with the Broncos and Teddy Bridgewater probably more worried about protecting the football, not turning it over, not having those catastrophic mistakes rather than really opening it up and taking huge risks, right? So I think this thing could be more low scoring, a score like 17-13, even 24-17. I could see the Broncos winning by scores like that, and that would still be the under at 41.5. A little bit scary. 41.5 is a low number, but I'm still leaning under because I think this is a rock fight. This is a, a, a defensive battle. Yeah, I completely agree. As you say, 41.5, when you see that, you're like, oh, that's really low. But when you think about it, the Broncos, they did not score a lot of points per game last year, and the Giants did not score a lot of points per game last year. And they're not completely the same team, but I think that trend will carry over a little bit. I can totally see like a 20-13 to 13 game or like a 23-13 to 13 game. I can totally see that happening because as you're saying, the Giants, they don't have a bad defense. And the Broncos' offense, I think it's going to be uh, improved from last year, but I don't think they're going to be lighting people up, especially not early in the season. I think they're going to have some things that need to be ironed out with a new quarterback and I think with the way Bridgewater plays he's just he's kind of a game manager so that kind of just lends itself to as you're saying like with them playing off the defense like 
you don't have to light up the scoreboard. Like you can score 23, 24 points a game. And if your defense is holding them to like 17 points, that's perfectly fine. That's acceptable. So not that they're not going to not try to score points. Like obviously they, they want to light up the scoreboard, but I think with being a run heavy offense and eating up a lot of time off the clock, and with their defense holding opponents to low scores, I agree with you that I think it could be a, a low-scoring affair. Giants are good on D. That's a defense that has a clue. It's going to be it's going to be one of those games. But another reason why I like the under is there's no offensive coordinator in football, John, more vanilla than Jason Garrett. Uh, <laughs> he is not going to really test these Broncos corners down the field. I mean, dink and dunk, dump off. Daniel Jones might not throw a ball more than ten yards in this game, for crying out loud. Now that's a little. Now you know me. I like to go to extreme sometimes, but uh, very vanilla from Jason Garrett. I don't expect him to like open it up here against the Broncos, especially with their secondary. So, uh, so that's where I'm at. So I guess the only the only way I flip it, I'm I'm nervous and scared that the Broncos lose in Week One, John, is if. Daniel Jones comes out looking like Josh Allen, right? Like like the light bulb goes on, the flip is switched. He's in his third year and he comes out ready to dominate. I didn't see that in that preseason game, that last one against the Patriots. Did not see the Josh Allen version of Daniel Jones. So I guess that's where we're at. Is Daniel Jones going to have his aha moment, come out and, you know, look like Patrick Mahomes all of a sudden? I guess that's the big yeah. question. I don't think so. Daniel Jones, I think this season overall, he might take a big step forward in his career. But in week one, you were just talking about all the guys that they have injured. Like he does not have enough of a supporting cast going up against this good of a defense to put up really big numbers in week one. I really don't think so. I think like he may be fine. And this season overall, I think he might take a step forward. But in week one, I'm not backing him with who they have available with the Broncos defense. I'm definitely picking Denver's defense. Yeah, well, I think we're both on Denver. And that, that's not even a homer pick. I think you just look at the matchup, John. Denver looks better, right? So this should be a, a good opening week for fans. Let's hope so. Football's back. That's a great thing. So uh, for John Heath, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Great to be back talking regular season football. We will be back next week to break it all down. Talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.